Society builders paved the way to a better world, to a better day. A united approach to building a new society. Join a conversation for social transformation. Society builders. Ooh. Society builders with your host, Dwayne Veron. Welcome to another episode of Society Builders. And thanks for joining the conversation for social transformation. Today, we explore the recent Resvan message of the Universal House of Justice to the Baha'is of the world. Now, this is hot off the press. At the time this episode is going to air, the message had only just been released. I'm rushing to get this to air because I know that there will be Baha'is worldwide and communities worldwide that will be eager to study, reflect, and consult on its content. Now, once again, I'd like to give a quick disclaimer here. This podcast is not an official expression of any Baha'i agency. It has no authority. It's just a personal initiative, a set of personal reflections. Remember, my views are no more valid than yours. I share my thoughts here as thoughts that you should weigh for yourself and accept or reject as you see fit. And remember also that these podcasts should not serve as a substitute for your own study and reflection or for that of your community and neighborhoods. It's just a modest effort to explore within the wider discourse. And so with that disclaimer, let's get on with today's show. Now, before we dig into the message itself, let's first explore a little bit of the background and context here. I've referred previously to this being the Resvan message. The Festival of Resvan is a 12-day festival that commemorates Baha'u'llah's announcement that he was a manifestation of God, God's messenger for this day and age. It represents the first public unveiling of his mission. Baha'u'llah referred to this as the most great festival, and the first day of this festival is the most important of all our holy days. It's on this first day of Resvan, on April 21st each year, that Baha'is all over the world in every town and village elect their own local spiritual assemblies. Now, this year's Resvan is extra special because once every five years, Baha'i delegates from all over the world come together to elect the Universal House of Justice, the body which guides Baha'i communities worldwide. These delegates represent all nations, and they have been elected by delegates coming from local communities throughout their own nations in a process that has no campaigning, no nominations, no politics. So the election of the Universal House of Justice represents something entirely unique. It's the most democratic event in the world, literally a reflection of the will of every Baha'i on the planet. Every Baha'i from the remotest village to the biggest cities, from east, west, north, and south, literally every Baha'i on the planet has an equal voice in the election of this global institution. It's breathtaking. 
and this year is that five-year mark for the election of new membership for the Universal House of Justice. So Baha'i representatives from all over the world are meeting in the Holy Land right now at the Baha'i International Convention in Haifa, electing this sacred body and consulting on the needs of the Baha'i world. And it's this message that not only guides that consultation at this convention, but in community consultations worldwide. Wow. So we've talked about Resvan, we've talked about the Baha'i International Convention and the election of the Universal House of Justice. Now let's reflect a bit on what a message like this is all about. These Resvan messages provide Baha'is worldwide with our guiding light. Like a lighthouse in a stormy sea, this is our guiding beacon to safety. The messages provide us with our opportunity to celebrate our greatest achievements of the past year, to situate these within their larger historical context, and to look to our priorities for the upcoming year. And there's a sacred dimension to all of this. These aren't just thoughts or suggestions. It's our divine mandate. There's a mystical dimension to it. It's the closest we get to having divine guidance for our day. You pray all the time to God for guidance? Well, here you have it. I want to emphasize this divine dimension because if you understand and appreciate it, you'll look to the message in a different light. Suddenly, the choice of individual words and phrases takes on entirely new meaning. You see in these messages and in the specific words expressed glimpses of reality that otherwise evade you. You want to know about the state of the world? Maybe get a few clues about what's in our immediate future? Well, look to these messages. This is where you find the best clues for understanding the world around you and the path to come. Now think about it. What an amazing gift is this? That's why you'll want to study this message so intensely, both individually and as communities and neighborhoods. You'll want to study, reflect, and consult to see how it speaks to you and how you can harmonize both your individual life and the life of your community to harnessing the power of its vision. So clearly, anything I say here in this podcast is going to fall hopelessly short. I'm entirely inadequate to the task. The thoughts I share here are just meant to stimulate your own study and exploration of the message. And that's all. So with that context, now let's explore this year's message. So the message is comprised of 1,684 words organized across eight paragraphs. You might think of it as being organized in four sections, an introduction, a reflection of the past year, guidance for the upcoming year, and the inspiring conclusion. Now, most of the message focuses on the past year. That's about two-thirds of the message. And about a quarter of it focuses on the upcoming year. Now, before we dig into the guidance to the Baha'i world, 
I'd like to first explore what clues we see in the message about the situation in the larger world around us. Remember, this is divine guidance. There are clues here that we can look to so that we can situate ourselves in the larger context around us. What does this message tell us about the state of the world at large? This gives us the larger context, the backdrop to the guidance. So how does the Universal House of Justice describe the state of the world? Now, most of the references to the condition of the world are found in the fourth paragraph of the message. And these words are very descriptive. Like many previous messages, this paints a picture of an unsettled world. But we see references to some very specific characteristics, both good and bad. The one thing that stood out for me most was their reflection that in the past year, the prospects for humanity's collective progress have seldom seemed gloomier. Now, let's reflect on this for a second. A little over a year ago, the Universal House of Justice wrote us about this release of the society and building power of the faith. And it very much felt like we were at a juncture between us having reached a certain stage in our community building progress, but also that it would be a necessary response to the social conditions of our times. Now suddenly, with the evasion of the Ukraine in particular, the political paradigm of the world has been challenged. Nations are rearming. Conventions for world order are disrupted. There are new unsettling alliances emerging, which are starting to repolarize the world order. We've experienced new supply disruptions, which are severely interfering with our global commerce. We're staring at the threat of another global recession, or maybe even worse, we're already starting to see some major banks collapsing. Now, the message doesn't refer to these specific things I've been talking about here. They just talk about this state of gloom. And the message is being shared with a humanity in this context of the gloom that surrounds it. And they frame this in even more specific terms. They refer to it as a world polarized and paralyzed. Wow, those are powerful words, right? Increasingly, we're seeing growing polarization, people drawing new lines of us versus them, demonizing the other. I can't speak for all history, but in my own lifetime, this level of polarization is without precedent. It feels like we're becoming more and more divided every day. And paralyzed? Absolutely. People feel helpless. It's like they're in the sea being sucked down by a vicious whirlpool, and they feel helpless to break free. But there are other, more promising features of the state of the world at large that the Universal House of Justice also highlights here. Increasingly, people are growing aware that the present-day structures of society are ill-prepared to address the needs of humanity. People at every level are losing faith in their institutions and want an alternative. It's like they're in that whirlpool I was describing before, and they no longer believe 
that their institutions can save them. There's a new thirst for the life-giving waters that the revelation offers. So there's a new level of receptivity for our message. And they describe a chorus of voices raised in support of oneness, equality, and justice. These are all themes that have found new meaning and new relevance. And of course, they are all themes we have long championed. And all of this is setting the stage for the massive contrast that people will increasingly see, a contrast between the conditions of the world at large and that of the society-building opportunities which we're putting to work. Here, the Universal House of Justice positions the Baha'i community as a place of refuge and beyond shelter, a forum which they can join in laboring together to build the world anew. And this provides the larger context to the message. A world that has seldom seemed gloomier, polarized and paralyzed, increasingly frustrated by the inability of present-day structures to meet humanity's needs, with newfound expressions longing for oneness, equality, and justice. It's a world thirsty for the very guidance expressed in this message. Okay, so now that we have the larger context of the world around us, let's explore how the Universal House of Justice celebrates our achievements of the past year. What features do they focus on? Let me say at the outset here that the tone of this message is of a Universal House of Justice that seems happy with our progress. They frame this as tremendous joy at our response to our high calling, reflecting high-mindedness and high resolve, a strong sense of purpose. And this is occurring within the three priorities for the plan, expansion and consolidation, social action, and participation in the discourses of society. And it's all unfolding at the level of the cluster. So we're on the right path. We're doing a good job. In particular, they draw attention to how the past year has seen us inspired and galvanized. It's a great start to the plan. And much of this has been focused at the level of the cluster, ensuring that in every country and region, there's at least one advanced cluster from which the community can learn. Now remember, the goal is that across this 25-year period, there'll be similarly advanced clusters in every cluster in the world. And we're seeing heightened awareness about the opportunities for people to pioneer to other countries, to other localities, to help advance these needs. And we're also widely practicing the ability to share insights, both locally and elsewhere. They then turn their attention to the gains being made in the Institute process, highlighting the dramatic effects that follow once it has taken root in a community. And it's in this context that they again highlight the larger process here, that this is an instrument that empowers us and our capacity to shape and develop our own communities. They frame this as an open invitation for people to enter into the faith 
and challenge us to learn how to best facilitate this. And they highlight how in communities and within groups of families, we're increasingly grappling with opportunities for social transformation, both in social action and in participating in meaningful discourses in the societies around us. Now, within this section, this is paragraph two of the message, they describe this process I alluded to around inviting those who want to enter and embrace our faith. I want to explore this particular section in the message because I think it sheds new light on the challenges associated with sharing the faith with others. So let's listen to the words of the Universal House of Justice here. They say, knowing well that the doors of the faith always stand wide open, the believers are learning how to give encouragement to those who are poised to enter, to walk with such souls and to help them cross the threshold is a privilege and a special joy. In each cultural context, there is much to be learned about the dynamics of this resonant moment of recognition and belonging. Now, if we want to be effective at sharing the faith with others, we should really study this particular guidance. There's an open invitation for people to join the faith, and we're learning how to encourage those ready to embrace it. Now note, learning means that we haven't figured it out yet. We're still learning. Of course, this metaphor of walking together with such souls is one they've used before, and it's such a beautiful metaphor that communicates so much, particularly that we don't stand in a position of superiority. It's not a teacher-student metaphor. It's one of all of us working together for the betterment of humanity. But it recognizes a unique privilege, a special joy, a special moment when a person of their own volition decides to cross that threshold and embrace the faith. Increasingly, we're going to be collaborating with others, some of whom will decide to cross that threshold and others who won't. But we have to get better at helping remove obstacles in that path, at encouraging people in their journey. And so here, the Universal House of Justice is clarifying that there are different cultural contexts, and we need to learn what works best in each of these contexts. So we're not looking for one universal method. We're trying to understand the dynamics of the special journey and situate it within different cultural contexts. Now think about it. This means that we need to explore the unique dynamics in our own circumstances. We hear about approaches and methods that work somewhere else. We're inspired by them, and maybe they're well-suited to our local conditions, but maybe they're not. We need to learn about what works best for us. And this learning will probably require a good amount of experimentation and sharing. So this highlights a unique opportunity for you. Don't expect a magic answer as to how to best share the faith with others to descend from the heavens. You are an active part of discovering what works best in your own circumstances. And from there, let's come together to learn about the dynamics of this process. 
Now, paragraph three celebrates the achievements of our youth. No other group is being singled out like this. So this is a huge honor, I think, for the youth to be celebrated here like this. It's like they're saying to the community, community, you all did a great job, but the youth stand out even more. They shine resplendent. They describe them as bold and discerning protagonists of the plan. What an interesting combination of words, bold and discerning. I mean, people who are bold aren't always discerning. You often picture this as almost like carelessly bold, and people who are discerning aren't always bold. So what a unique combination here. And what I really like about this section is that it implies that the youth have earned this privilege. As they say, the youth have more than justified the confidence shown in them. You can tell that the Universal House of Justice is particularly delighted here. So the youth can stand tall and take a bow. They're sharing the faith with their friends and using service as a foundation for friendships. They're helping educate those younger with both moral and spiritual education, but also with assistance in their schooling. Now, the fact that the Universal House of Justice here also highlights this assistant in schooling, I think, should be taken as a cue by youth everywhere that this is another path to service. And they highlight the youth's sacred responsibility to strengthening the institute process, commending them for fulfilling the Universal House of Justice's cherished hopes. Wow, if you're young, you should feel proud. The Universal House of Justice is celebrating your amazing achievements here. Now we've talked already about much of the focus of paragraph four. This is the paragraph that describes the state of the world, all that gloom we talked about earlier. But that's what the first part of the paragraph is about. The point here is that the faith is providing this shelter and it's shining with astonishing brilliance. Here, they celebrate the more than 10,000 conferences attended by nearly one and a half million people worldwide promoting our ideals. And they share a quote here from Abdu'l-Bahá that brings particular focus for what these conferences celebrated. He said, every community in the world findeth in these divine teachings the realization of its highest aspirations. And of course, they close this section explaining how well-wishers of humanity will be drawn to us as a place of refuge, a shelter from a world polarized and paralyzed, and beyond a shelter as a place where they find kindred souls laboring together to build the world anew. In paragraph five, they highlight a particular feature growing out of the conferences, a focus on kinship and not difference. Okay, if the Universal House of Justice is drawing attention to something, well, 
This is a phrase we should remember and one which we're probably going to see again. This idea of kinship and not difference. Here, I think the Universal House of Justice is highlighting how we opened our doors to wider society. We discussed our plans in the company of those from wider society, including local leaders and authority figures. Now, take note here, this is important. It reflects a new skill we're gonna to work to develop further. It's part of our new paradigm. In the past, we used to meet behind closed doors, devise our plans, and then interact with society. Now, we're engaging with society together in this spirit of kinship, even in our planning. I think this is probably a theme we're going to be seeing a lot more of in the coming years, learning how to embrace this new reality in our community life. And they also draw attention to the role for such gatherings, that they are at once uplifting and purposeful. Now that's another power combination. And that this needs to become a feature in the pattern of community development at the cluster level. So to me, personally, this sounds like an invitation, an invitation for clusters to regularly host such occasions and interact with society around it. Now, paragraph six takes us into a different section in the message. Where the previous paragraphs have looked to the past year, paragraph six is the transition looking forward to the upcoming year. We enter into this year with a fresh perspective and with profound insight into the significance of what we are seeking to achieve. And it's here that the Universal House of Justice provides another profound lesson for us. They explain how different something looks when you can view it in light of the society building power it releases. Wow, let's explore that. Now, in a previous episode, I shared the story of how for thousands of years, we've all been waiting for the descent of the kingdom of heaven on earth for world peace. And for us, it's like one day we were standing on the beach when we saw this big jumbo jet flying above us in the skies. And out of this jet came this massive crate that said, peace on earth, kingdom of heaven on earth. And the parachutes opened and the crate landed on the shore. And we were so excited. I mean, hey, this was the kingdom of heaven on earth. And we opened it up and it was a do-it-yourself kit. <laughs> All of God's messengers have brought us the kingdom of heaven on earth. They've brought us the blueprints for building it. And yet, we still look to the skies awaiting its arrival without realizing that the miracle already happened. We just need to build it. And that's the point. As Baha'is, we're building to a common blueprint. Now, a brick in isolation is meaningless. It's just a brick. But a brick that is a part of a plan, wow, 
That's the kingdom of heaven on earth. And this is what I think the Universal House of Justice is talking about in this section. Increasingly, we need to understand how our efforts, however modest, tie in with the big picture. So you're asked to participate in a Ruhi book as part of the Institute process. Now, in your mind, how do you frame that? Maybe you're excited to be developing new skills, socializing with others, learning new insights, but now rise above all of that. See the big picture. Understand how you're a part of something bigger, much bigger, a capacity for your community to develop the skills it needs to navigate its own destiny. Wow. Now in the previous plans, this was primarily focused on spiritual education and collective worship. But now we're expanding our focus, moving into more society building arenas, moving further into social transformation. And the Universal House of Justice gives us a few examples here in improving public health, protecting the environment, or drawing more effectively on the power of the arts. Now, we could respond to these challenges haphazardly, but what we're engaging in is a process, a process harnessing the power of systematic learning, drawing on insights from our teachings and on the accumulated store of human knowledge generated through scientific inquiry. We're bringing science and religion together to remedy society's ills through a systematic approach to learning. And this is a capacity, a capacity that we've started to cultivate over the previous plans. And as our capacity grows, so much more will be accomplished. That's the society building process we're engaged in. Paragraph seven is a prize. Now, each community engages in its own journey and its capacity grows as it takes on new responsibilities. And somewhere along the line, those needs require the community to have its own Baha'i house of worship, its own Mashablaskar. Now, these used to only exist at the level of a continent. We only had one of these for each continent. But in its Resvan 2012 message, the Universal House of Justice announced the advent of national and local houses of worship, a number of which have now been built. And in this message, they call for local houses of worship in Kachanpur, Nepal, and Mwinilunga, Zambia, and a national house of worship for Canada, which will be based in Toronto. What a great achievement for these communities. And really, this elevates Canada as one of those at the forefront of our endeavors. So if you're a Canadian listener, you should stand proud, eh? Now, for the benefit of all of the audience who might not have caught that inside joke, Canadians have a reputation for throwing an A at the end of everything. In fact, they've even started to spell Canada 
C-A-N-A-D-A. -A -A. <laughs> so kudos to Canada. And this gives us all something to aspire for in the years ahead. And then, sadly, we get to the conclusion. I say sadly because you want more. Now, the concluding paragraph of a Resvan message is always incredibly inspiring. So I want to share it in its entirety. The Universal House of Justice closes with these words. Copious are the blessings that a benevolent Lord has chosen to bestow upon his loved ones. Lofty is the calling magnificent the prospect. Pressing are the times in which we have all been summoned to serve. Impassioned, then, are the prayers with which, on your behalf and for your tireless effort, we supplicate at the threshold of Baha'u'llah. Well, my sincerest apologies. I know this was an inadequate attempt to explain the depth of the Resvan message. So please forgive my shortcomings here. But the point really is to help further stimulate your own study of this incredibly important message, both individually and collectively as communities and neighborhoods. The message is our most important tool in reflecting on the past and charting our path forward. So that's it for today. I want to thank you for joining with me in this exciting journey. And I want to invite you to join me again in our next episode. So thanks again for listening. And thanks for joining the conversation for social transformation. See you again next time on Society Builders. Society builders paved the way to a better world, to a better day. A united approach to building a new society. There's a crisis facing humanity. People suffer from a lack of unity. It's time for a better path to a new society. Join a conversation for social transformation. Society builders. For social transformation, society builders. So engage with your local communities and explore the exciting possibilities. We can elevate the atmosphere in which we move. The paradigm is shifting, it's so very uplifting. It's a new beat, a new song, a brand new groove. Join a conversation for social transformation. Society builders. Join a conversation for social transformation. Society builders. The Baha'i faith has a lot to say Helping people discover a better way With discourse and social action Framed by unity Now the time has come to lift the game And apply the teachings of the greatest name And rise to meet the glory of our destiny Join a conversation 
for social transformation. Society builders, join a conversation for social transformation. Society builders.